Welcome to Trinity Church. Today we're continuing our secret series. Uh, before I get into it, though, I do want to just echo what Rochelle said on the announcements video. We know it's been a heavy week for many. Uh, I've talked to different people, and obviously different people respond in different ways, have different perspectives, but I just know that many are struggling. Um, and my heart just, I just want to personally say I just stand in solidarity with all my brothers and sisters of color and uh, care about you and praying uh, for you and praying for our nation, praying for all those suffering in different ways uh, this week. So just wanted to say that. Um, but yeah, we are continuing uh, Secrets, and uh, we're so glad to have guests with us today. I see a few new, new faces. Uh, so glad you made it today. And a big thank you to everyone who's serving today. So many people participating. Let's give a hand for everyone who's serving in different ways. So what is Secrets if you're new with us? We do this series annually. We like to tell the stories of our church members, their journey in life, the ups and the downs, and how they found faith in Jesus, and how their faith in Jesus has sustained them. And today, uh, we're going to be hearing from Amanda, and her Secrets video is about nine minutes long. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're going to get a great insight today in what it means, what it looks like to be a Christian. Uh, but also, for all of us who already believe, these stories, these testimonies are just so encouraging. They, they build us up, they help us so much. Uh, so let's go ahead and roll the video. I am Amanda Littleton. I am of Afro-Latin Caribbean descent. My grandfather is from Barbados. There's a lot of Jamaican and a lot of other things, but ultimately they ended up in a place called Puerto Limon, Costa Rica. And my father came to United States when he was 12, like in the 60s. I guess I'll technically be maybe a fourth or fifth generation Seventh-day Adventist. And you find a lot of that in the islands and to the side, but my mother is not from the islands. But all of us have been very, very serious about Jesus. When we were little, we had family worship from when I was as early as I can remember. Um, and you had to do it. And I remember my grandmother, <laughs> she always say, what if the trumpet were to blow right now? Anything that uh, we might be doing that we're not supposed to be doing, we'd be caught and we would be ready for Jesus at any time. We would have, like I said, family worship is a thing. Morning and evening, we would read the scriptures and we had hymnals and we would sing. And it was whatever they picked for us to be. Adventists, thinking about Jesus coming to earth, coming back. The 80s were kind of a weird time. I'm gonna be 47. I'm a child of the 70s, growing up in the 80s. When I was coming up, that was the time of a lot of uh, cultural, like the horror movies had a lot of religious stuff. Like this is when The Exorcist was out and The Omen and all these things. We're playing records back and we're thinking, Y2K was really far off, but you know, that was when Jesus is coming back and we're looking for the signs. I remember another thing, oh, we can see the toes of the sandals of the Lord coming down right now, the signs and the wonders anytime. So we were clenched and we were ready and we're trying and all that effort and all that energy and stuff, it led to a lot of right living, but also a feeling of condemnation, a lot of judgment and a lot of funky stuff. And when I got older, it's time to go. I was raised on the south side of Chicago, Hyde Park, and when it was time for college, I went to New York, and I loved it so much, I almost never came back. I went to NYU. The village, for somebody like me, was just, I, I wanna say heaven, but you know, they would've said Babylon, Babylon. But uh, I was there and I enjoyed it, maybe Sodom, Gomorrah, whatever it was, but by 18, 17 years old, even though, you know, I still am who I am, I was maybe relaxed. I don't know if relaxed is a different word or not necessarily jaded, but I was different. 
We read the scriptures all the time. You know, I had that foundation, but it was we read, or it was read to me. It's not necessarily me reading it because I want to read it for myself. And I busted loose when I got to New York City. I enjoyed it so much. Like I was saying, I didn't want to come back. I stayed there through all of my 20s. And I can't even remember why I came back, but I came back maybe 2003. So the turn of the century had happened. Jesus didn't come back. I, I didn't think, though, that doesn't mean that Jesus is not coming. But it was an interesting feeling of, okay, and like I said, wild living to me might not really be like legit wild living to somebody for real, for real. But you know, I enjoyed my time in New York to the fullest extent. And you drift and a drift and a drift and it felt okay at first, but after a little while, you can feel that something is not quite right. I had kind of a scary situation and it's weird. I had a stalker at one point. It was so creepy that it made me actually call my mom. When I left Chicago, I was done with a lot of stuff. It's not like I hadn't talked to her in ever, but it's, it's something that I don't do often. I called her and I was joking, but I was scared too. And I said, you know, okay. I had to get my first restraining order. <laughs> she says, uh, restraining order is not gonna do anything for you. You need Jesus. And I kind of laughed it off and, uh, you know, conversation went on. I went to bed like I was so scared from this situation. Basically, it was so scary that I'd unplugged the telephone. Like I didn't want to hear it ring anymore. I didn't want to hear any messages, so I was just inside. I went to bed and I had this odd feeling. I hadn't prayed, I hadn't read the Bible, I hadn't done any of that stuff in a long, long time. But something said, just try it. It was almost like a joke kind of thing, but I noticed that I felt better, left it alone. Then uh, I woke up feeling kind of good. I put the extension or whatever it is that, that connects the ringer back and the phone, it didn't ring. Like I would jump every time the phone rang and I was inside the house and I was staying and I was just like that. Long story short, if that works, let me try this other thing. The Bible is not a Ouija board or anything like that, but I flicked it open and it opened to the one place that if I had to pick one favorite, it would be Ecclesiastes. I love it, especially the beginning. It's not a happy part of the Bible by any stretch of the imagination. And Solomon is really, he, he's not happy when he's talking what he's talking, but it really, really calmed me down. I'm an artist. I should say also that even though I've been an elementary teacher for years, but lately I've become an art teacher, music teacher, and I love it. I'm a musician and artist. I'm the drama teacher too, but I don't like scrutiny. I don't like performing. I don't like eyes on me, generally speaking. Like I can do it, I talk for a living. But I, I just assume rest. Long story short, Ecclesiastes kind of did something to change my mental channel. And it did something to kind of Relax me. Solomon is not somebody that uh, my grandparents probably would have approved of his behaviors and the things that he's doing, but he was awesome. He had a really, really good go around. Not sure what to say about how things ended for him, but he was as smart as he could be. He really was trying to know as much as he could know. And that kind of resonates because you try and try and try to figure out all of these weird puzzles. You try to figure it out and it's hard. A lot of stuff is unknown. I think that that's okay. I think that you don't necessarily have to know it, even if you're the teacher, even if you're the smartest one that ever lived. I haven't figured it out, I'm gonna be honest, and I don't know that I ever will. But what I can say after all these years is that God is not scary. And that, if I had to say one thing that I would like to hold on to and keep hold of, it's not easy because I'm a nervous type. I'm clenched just as a person. But 
The idea that God is not mad at us is very, very, very helpful. And we have to know him for ourselves because what happens is people are trying their best to give him to us as a gift. You have to kind of read it for yourself. You have to kind of see it for yourself. And God can talk to you through the scripture and through his word the same way that people can interpret for you, sometimes even more directly. I can't really say that there were some specific words that I heard or any kind of stuff like that, but I calmed down when I prayed, and that is something that is a consistent factor over time. When I was little, the way we would pray is kind of, you know, like you're scared and there's an inauthenticity that comes from doing what you're supposed to do. But when I talk to him by myself, he answers and it might not just be so specific as words but it's a knowing and it's a calming and it's a comforting and that's what god really is it's easy to forget that i'll say that too it's easy to forget who god is in the middle of all of life and things that we do but he's not mad at us when we drift and that is a revelation how do i know and when did i know that god is not angry when i feel like i've deserved the predicament that i'm in and that he still allows me to experience joy when I'm ready for the condemnation. This is still ongoing, this is still evolving, and it kind of, <laughs> we were talking about uh, Ecclesiastes at one point and how everything kind of, there's nothing new under the sun and it all just keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going, but that kind of is just the nature of life on earth and we're never gonna figure it out. It's always gonna be what it's gonna be. But I know how to forgive myself now for the times when I miss the mark. And that would probably be the clearest voice of God right there. Through all of my distortions and all of my kind of puppeteering and talking for him about how much of an abomination this choice or an abomination that choice is, Jesus will kind of whisper, oh, just calm down. I see you and I've already seen you. I've been seeing you. So you didn't hide anything from me from the beginning. I saw all of that stuff and I'm still here and I've always been here and it's okay. And you're gonna be okay. Lately with a lot of the way that life has been going and the globe and the nation and everything, you know, I've been turning back to Revelation for comfort of all things. You wouldn't get comfort from the beast and the dragon and the horns and all that stuff. But that's not all that's in there. Jesus is real, it's coming back. You know, it, it's it's heaven too, you know what I mean? And this is not heaven yet, and that's okay. Thank you, Amanda. Amanda Singh over here. Let's give her a, let's give her a good hand. Thank you. Really appreciate you sharing. Be blessed. Be blessed in your story. And... Uh, last week we looked at, we heard from Zach, and we uh, used that to talk about issues of depression. And, and this week I want to, uh, there's different things we could draw out of Amanda's story, but I want to look at uh, Philippians chapter 4 that Paisley uh, read the passage uh, to us, and really look at uh, the issues of fear and anxiety, the issues of fear and anxiety. As we know, these things are on at an all-time high, at an absolute all-time high, even before the, the, the glorious gift of 2020. We are struggling with just our, our technological advancements causing all kind of pressure and stress in our lives, supposedly making our lives better, but actually complicating them in different ways. Um, just the, 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 the social expectations that we face now, um, the, the division and tension um, in the fabric of our society have caused 
anxiety and fear to skyrocket. And we, 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 we struggle, we're kind of struggling in, in collective ways. Uh, but then Amanda talked about some, some kind of personal struggles in that regard as well. You know, uh, the idea of uh, growing up, um, you know, it's not uncommon actually for uh, within certain circles of Christianity to grow up with uh, a very fear-based perspective on, on faith. Um, people do that. But, it's, you know, it's not just a Christian problem. I mean, it's, it's a religious problem in general. Lots of religions, it's very tempting to want to leverage fear because fear gets a very, a very quick and immediate outcome. On the long, in, in the long term, it doesn't work. It doesn't work to motivate with fear. But we know it, it can get compliance in the short term. You know, it's not really a religious problem. It's just a human problem because people of all beliefs, all worldviews, even secular beliefs, if, if you're not healthy, if you don't understand the nature of um, really the way God's made things, then, then you're going to lean on fear. You're going to give in to fear. You're going to be prone to fear. Some people are more prone to fear than others. You know, some people are really even kill, not much rattles them. Uh, if I meet somebody or if, if I'm ever tempted to think that way or I meet someone who doesn't seem to ever struggle with fear and anxiety, I'll tend to think, well, they just haven't experienced the right set of circumstances yet because we all have fears. We all fear this and we fear that, I mean, what do we, we fear the future. What's, gonna, what's, gonna, what's the outcome? What's going to happen? We all, we all struggle. There's different fears. It's different for each, each of us. We all have unique things to us, but it's, it's a very common experience for people to struggle with. And the Bible wants us to be alert to the dangers and, and to future troubles. and wants us to be very aware of that, but not controlled by it, not overwhelmed by it, not overcome by it. So actually, Amanda talked about this kind of upbringing of, you know, this kind of like the, the trumpet's going to sound, you know, Christ is going to return any second. It's kind of a scary thing. In the passage that we, we read, actually makes that statement. It says, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, the Lord is at hand. And there's a few things that means that the Lord is at hand. Hey, God's with you. It can mean that. But, but people tend to say that actually it means that God is, is or Jesus is, is planning to return. He's at hand. His return could be imminent. Be ready. Be alert for that to happen. And that, you know, sometimes this eschatological stuff can be, be a bit gnarly, a bit scary to us. Like, how's it all going to go down? Is it going to be like a pandemic or something? some kind of computer chip or AI or what's it going to be? Aliens? Who knows? How's, how's it all going to come to an end? How's it going to come? You know, we can be freaking out about that. But the Bible wants us to be aware and alert that God has a plan to bring all things to an end and for Jesus to return and heal all the brokenness that we see. That's going to happen. But also to not fear, not be overwhelmed with the personal situations that we face in our lives as well. You know, the truth of the Bible is that God wants us to experience, He wants us to experience His rest. He wants us to experience His peace. He wants us to experience His joy. He, that's what He has for us. That's what He wants us in the midst of the darkness we face and the trials we face and those difficulties. They're, they're going to be there, but He wants us to know that joy in the midst of it. In verse 4, the, verse, the first verse that was read it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, it sounds a bit unreal, doesn't it? I mean, it's a great re refrigerator verse. It's a great t-shirt verse because it just sounds wonderful. But uh, not when you're going through something terrible. And who wrote this? What, kind of, what were they thinking when they wrote this? You know? Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he's not living in a fairy tale. This guy was persecuted, beaten, harassed, 
stoned, and with stones, not drugs, uh, almost died, you know, all kind of you know, shipwrecked, all these terrible things happened to him. And he writes, all, rejoice always. And then he says it twice. He repeats it. It's like, okay, so he's not living in, he's got a hard life, so he's not living in a fairy tale. But what does this mean? How, do you, how can you always rejoice? It seems completely unreal. You look at the, a bigger view of the Bible, you understand that other scriptures tell us, mourn with those who mourn. What that's saying is, there are, it's okay that there are people that are mourning, and you can actually enter, in, enter into their, it may not be your personal mourning, their mourning, but you can enter, you're supposed to enter into that, you know, ne- those negative feelings with them, actually. Those difficult feelings. We should, should stop calling that negative because it's not a bad thing. It's actually pretty normal, pretty understandable. Also, it says in the Psalms that God, He collects our tears in a bottle. So we've got permission that we're allowed to cry and that God cares enough about it that He's actually going to gather those things up and He's going to remember them. He's going to store them away and say, I see the pain that you face and you've had. So which one is it? Are we supposed to be rejoicing all the time or are we supposed to be mourning and crying? How does, you know, are these... Is the Bible saying opposite things? How do we reconcile these things? Well, I think the rejoicing is the ideal. It's, it's a reasonable place that we can get to. We're not always going to succeed at getting to that place. We're not always going to be able to get to a place of rejoicing, but we can. I think it means that. I also think it means, and this is just an issue of maturing and how in our own emotional integrity, is realizing that you can experience positive and negative feelings at the same time. In, your, in the midst of your worst circumstance, you can actually find something positive that doesn't take away from the pain and the sorrow that you feel. So it's reasonable, it's very reasonable that the Bible expects us to learn how to do this. And it says that in, in the next uh, verse. It says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Now, there's different ways you can understand what it means by reasonableness. It's a very broad, you know, meaning to it. Uh, and, and as Christians, we really should be known as people who are reasonable. We're reasonable about how we respond. But here's one way that we can apply it in, in, in the subject matter that we're talking about today. It's pretty unreasonable if you're going through something difficult, some kind of tragedy, some kind of turmoil. It's pretty unreasonable to just act like everything's okay. To kind of have that Joel Osteen look on your face. It's kind of unreasonable because you're going through something terrible. The world can struggle to relate to us when they don't see our emotional vulnerability. They don't see that we can be honest about our own pain. And they can struggle to relate to us as believers and followers of Jesus when we can't empathize with the pain in the world. And boy, doesn't the world have a lot of pain in it right now. I mean, you know, every generation has pain and every generation has terrible things in it. But it really feels like, wow, right now this is a, this is a dark moment. This is a dark time, difficult time. Just with all of the, the corruption in the, in the political realm, in, in, our, in our media, the new forms of... of it's kind of, self, of segregation and obviously racism, but also toxic ideas that, that dehumanize people. There's a lot of pain to go around. We're, there's a lot to share. There's a lot to share all over the place. And our own emotional, our ability to empathize with the pain of others 
and to be vulnerable about our own pain is reasonable. That's actually what's reasonable in the world. The world can't relate to us if we're just... Because the word rejoice, what do you think when you say always rejoice? You, you kind of imagine, you just can't help but do it, but you kind of imagine someone, at least I do, someone with a tambourine, you know, kind of dancing with a tambourine. That's what I, the word rejoice, I just think of a tambourine, I don't know. What images come to your mind? You know, it's the tambour, for me, it's a tambourine thing, you know, someone smiling, happy. But I think, you know, it, it's a choice to rejoice, right? It's a little cheesy to say it that way, but, you know, hopefully it has some stickiness to it, right? It's a choice to rejoice, that you don't necessarily feel it, but you can choose to find something to rejoice in. Now, there's a flip side to this, to, have, to having emotional integrity, to mourning with those who mourn, and to, to being honest about our own fears, because we all have our fears, we've got to be honest about them, but there's a flip side to it, as there always is, that we can't be carried away by our emotions. Our emotions don't rule the day. They're important. God's an emotional being. We're made in His image. Our emotions are made, they're reflections of the divine nature. doesn't mean that, you know, we're fallen creatures, so they're not perfect. Uh, but they're not necessarily, they're not, it's not wrong that we have emotions, positive and negative. But we have to, we have to learn to not be ruled by them and mastered by them and not be carried away by them. Actually, the superpower of being a Christian is that in the midst of your worst possible circumstances, you can work yourself to a place of joy. You can find that rejoicing. That's, but the problem is that the world struggles to find the, the authenticity of that if we don't have emotional integrity and emotional vulnerability with it. If it just comes across as something fake, something that we're just, we're just kind of ginning ourselves up. It's just more of a pep talk than something that's objectively deeply true within us. A maturing Christian understands a couple of things. As we're maturing in Christ, we understand that we see our anxiety and our fear. We see that the world is a scary place. We see that, you know what, even being, it's dangerous to be a part of a church. You know that, right? To be a part of a church community. You know, it's dangerous, right? Because you might get hurt by somebody. Somebody might, somebody might do something upsetting, say something, do, you know, forget something. It's, it's, it takes some vulnerability to be a part of any group of people. But a maturing Christian says, you know, I see my anxiety. I see it's there. I can't get rid of it. I can't just forget it. It's the way the world is. I've got fears, got anxieties, but they, they see that those things don't define them. It's not, that doesn't, that, that's not a label of who I am. That's just what I'm experiencing right now. And these, these anxieties and these fears I have, they teach me about who I am. They tell me, they reveal things to me about who I am, but they, they also teach me about who God is. And the Bible gives me instructions about how to respond to and how to deal with the fears and anxieties that I do have. Specifically in verse 6, what does it say? Notice it says, it says, do not be anxious. Now, you can hear that in a very condemning way, like, oh no, I already, I already did something wrong. I already got it wrong. Listen, it's built into the statement. It's built into the very statement itself that God's fully aware that we're full of anxiety and fear. So it's, 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 it's allowable because it's built into... Jesus said almost exactly the same thing about anxiety. So there's an awareness, yeah, you're struggling, full of anxiety, full of fear. But it says, do not be anxious, which means, you know, look, if that seems impossible, understand two things. One is, God wouldn't tell us to do something if there wasn't some way for us to be able to do it. Some way. Even if it's 100% on God. 
that's still a way for it to be done. <laughs> but uh, these things typically are, are kind of a, we're co-working with God in these things. There's some response to us and there's power from the Holy Spirit to help us in these times. Do not be anxious. How on earth do you learn in, in, in your time of worry and fear and, and, and sorrow and, and hardship and mourning, a time of mourning, how do you learn to rejoice? You know, some, some people are good at this. Some people are they're just positive. They came out of the womb and they were positive. They're kind of babies that didn't cry that much. They just were, were happy, right? They, 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 they didn't get formula, you know, whatever it was. I don't know what it was. That's not a comment on, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I was just, people have their theories. That's what I'm trying to say. People have their theories about how different people turn out. You understand? <laughs> Where did I get to? So some people, some people are very positive, and they, uh, they, they can always find the silver lining in something. No matter how bad their circumstances get, they can always seem to find a way to say, well, but there's this good thing that can come from it. You know, don't you hate people like that sometimes? You're just like, so annoying. How do they do that? But you know what? There are circumstances where that's almost impossible to do. Maybe it's possible, but you just you can't find the emotional strength to do it because things look so bleak and so dark, so, so overwhelmed by it. So what does the Scripture say? You see, it's not just about, it's not just about finding the silver lining. See, see, the Bible is not just saying, hey, just find the silver lining. No. What does it say? It says rejoice in the Lord. Genius. It's a genius. No matter what evil you face, no matter what darkness you face, it can never undo and it can never diminish who Jesus is and the work of Jesus for us. It doesn't change it one bit. So Christian freedom and Christian joy, the true depth of the authenticity of it, it's not some kind of therapeutic Zen type thing. It's objective in this sense that we we, we rejoice in the Lord. We, we fix it. We, can, we learn to respond to our circumstances in an emotionally integral way, in a way that ultimately takes us to this place of saying, I see the goodness of God. I see the greatness of Jesus. I see the power of Jesus, yet his humility. I see the truthfulness of Jesus, yet his relatability and his grace. I see, I see the hatred of God against all that is evil and his judgment against it, yet I see his grace as well and, and say, I'm just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with, with the greatness and the goodness of God. That's, that's, see, it's rejoicing in you. You can always, Jesus is never any less rejoiceable. I know it's not a word, but I'm going to go with it. He's never any less rejoiceable, no matter what circumstances we might face. Now, it's not, I'm not saying that if we, if we find ourselves, you know, if we get ourselves to a place of where we can rejoice in, in God in spite of our circumstances, that then the anxiety and the fear or the sorrow, whatever it is we're facing, that that just vanishes. It might. That can happen. Maybe you've experienced that. But we might just stay with both of those things. That's, that's pretty normal. It's pretty reasonable to be experiencing those things. Think of it this way. Think about the sickest you've ever been. In bed, sick, got a fever, can't move your body, you know, so sick where you can't watch TV. Think of that. Think of that. That's the worst, isn't it? And somebody makes you laugh. Have you ever had that happen before? I've had that happen before. And I have to tell, please, please stop making me laugh. Like, I'm laughing, so yes, I'm experiencing some joy, but it's making me worse because everything hurts. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. I don't know how it works, but it, 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 you can live in those two places at 
the same time, that's part of the emotional integrity of the Bible. That's part of how this ideal that we're striving for, to always rejoice. Also, though, but it says in verse 6, it tells us to, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our, to let our requests be made known to God. This is the remedy. The Bible has the remedy for our fears and anxieties. It gives it to us. And it's so simple, it's so basic, that I'm afraid that we don't take it seriously. Or that we just think, nah, it can't, it can't be that. It can't, it can't be actually be that. Surely it's got to be something a bit more complicated. Or it's got to be, maybe I need some secret knowledge or some other knowledge. I need something else to, to add to it. It can't just be that obvious. It can't be that simple. It gives us, it, it gives us the, the response where to take our fears and our anxieties. It tells us exactly what to do with them. And it's so basic, so simple. My fear is that it's so basic and so simple that we'll discard it thinking, oh, it's got to be more. There's got to be something else to it. I've got to do. I've got to work a bit. Don't I have to work a bit harder at this? It's so simple. It says by prayer and supplication. By prayer and, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about we, 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 we start by opening a channel to God. Kind of like turning on the TV. Like, what channel am I going to go to? Well, I need to go to my God channel. You start dialogue, communication with the Almighty. I have an open invitation to do this. I don't have to be doing anything perfect. I, I can be in the midst of sin. I can be having all kind of wrong attitudes and thoughts and be in the worst place ever, but I've got to open the channel, bring prayer and supplication to God. What's the difference between prayer and supplication? Prayer, we, we tend to use the word prayer for all of these, but, but, but there's a, there is a nuance between them. Prayer is actually more about praise. Supplication is more about asking for things and, and making those requests for ourselves and for others. Supplication is for asking for ourselves, but also asking for others. And we get, into, we get into a lot of trouble when we miss all of those things. We miss that prayer is about praise, exalting God. So I've got to open up a channel, I need to be exalting God, because He's good. That's the objective, highest truth that I've, my faith rests upon. But also supplication. But we get into trouble with the supplication one is because we can either be overly focused on just meeting my own needs, just you know, God, meet my needs, which we're encouraged to pray those prayers, but also in the needs of others. And if, you're, if we're only focused on ourselves, our needs grow in our minds, our worries grow in our minds. And actually, one of the remedies here is to be praying for the needs of others. It's a great way to get, get your mind off of those, those, those personal fears and put it in perspective. It does. Or it can be reversed, where we don't take any care of ourselves. We're only concerned about others because we feel bad about asking for things for ourselves. So we never do that. So we're actually not really paying attention to what we need and voicing that to others and to God. We get in trouble when we ignore all. We need all of them. We need prayers and we need supplications for ourselves and for others. But here's the, the truly revolutionary part of this. It says for both of those things, for prayers and supplications, that they are to be with thanksgiving with thanksgiving. I say it's revolutionary, but I'm just trying to find language to make it sound sexy and exciting. Because it's so simple and so obvious. If only we would do it, if only we truly believe it. A, gr a grateful life is a joyful life. A grateful life is a joyful life. But you know, notice that it's not, again, it's not just a therapeutic response. It's not just, oh, if I, you know, because social scientists will tell you, you know, if, if the more grateful you are, the, the happier you are. But we don't need studies to show us this. It's in the Bible. And it's not just generic happiness or generic gratitude. It's gratitude in God. It's in Christ. 
It's, 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 it's focusing those, those prayers and supplications, opening that channel to the only one who can really hear us. And yes, it does. Prayer has a calming effect. Amanda talked about that. There, of course there is. Of course there's going to be that, that calming effect. And lots of people, you know, whether they're praying to Jesus or not, you know, can feel the calming effect. But in the long term, who you're praying to does matter. Because if, if there's a person who can't hear the prayers, they're just, it's just a calming effect. It doesn't actually achieve anything in the real world. But we know by faith in Jesus that actually he hears our prayers and responds to our prayers and cares about our needs and intervenes and acts. It says in everything. It says do this in everything. And that's a big key as well. It's with thanksgiving. How inadequate is our thanks to God? We really need to be convicted about how awfully inadequate our gratitude is for God, for all that he has done for us and all that he is, how much we have to be grateful for and thankful for. It says to do it in everything. That means not just when things are bad, not just when it's in the negative, but in the positive, all the time in everything. That's why it says rejoice always. I mean, it's natural to rejoice in the good, but we still have to remember. You know, we still have to remember to do that, to actually show gratitude. In verse 7 that we read, it tells us, it tells us that then if we do this, the promise is we have this promise that we can hold on to this promise and we can remind God. You're supposed to remind God of his promises, not that he forgets, but, but you're, you're, just, you're, well, you're, you're invited to say, God, remember you said this, right? This is how this is supposed to work. The promise is if we bring our prayers and supplications to God in the face of our fears and anxieties with thanksgiving in everything, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. Now, it doesn't say in this verse that we'll be physically safe. I wish I could promise you that you'll always be physically safe, but we just know the world's, full, the world's a bad place and bad things happen. But the promise of this verse is that our minds... And our hearts are guarded, guarded with God's peace. If this is the this is the solution, why wouldn't why wouldn't we do this? Why do we struggle to do this? Why do I struggle to do this? Why is it so hard for us to do? It's so simple. It's the remedy. Why do we? The simple answer is there's got to be there's got to be a blockage there for us somehow in my in my life. And in our lives, there's got to be a blockage there if we're struggling to do this. And perhaps it's this, that it's hard for us to understand the value. It's hard for us to be grateful for what we have if we don't understand the true value of what we've received. It's, it's, it's hard to really be full of gratitude in God if we don't truly understand how much we have received from God. That's the disconnect. It always comes back to the central thing. But the greatest thing that we have to give thanks for, the greatest thing that we have to celebrate in God is His unmerited, unconditional love and self-sacrifice for us on the cross. His death and His resurrection, His great work for us. Our purpose as a church is to enjoy and share the grace of Jesus. You know, the greatest way you glorify God is by enjoying Him and celebrating Him that's how you glorify something, is by cheering it and celebrating it and finding your greatest satisfaction in it. So we, we seek to enjoy the grace of Jesus. And how can, you tell, how can we honestly tell the world that we have the greatest message they could ever hear and the most important message that they must hear and that they need to hear if it's not the most thrilling thing in our own life, if it's not the greatest thing in our own life? We need to respond 
to this great gift we've received, and we're going to respond. I want to explain it to you. Let's have the band come up. As I explain it, let's have the band come up. We want to get ready to sing about it, because that's actually singing, entering the joy of music and singing together is one of the ways we stir up our affections to enjoy the grace of Jesus. What is the grace of Jesus? It is His irrational kindness. It does not make logical sense that God would forgive us of our sins. It's an emotional thing. It's just because He wanted to, because He loves us in spite of our sin, wants to forgive us of our sin. Think of it this way. So verse, in verse 7, it says that we're guarded, right? We're guarded in Christ. Think about it like this. When God comes knocking at our door saying, the, the check is due on all your wrongdoing. You've got to pay up. I'm going to hold you accountable to how you've lived. Here's the gospel messages. There's a guard outside. Imagine like a royal guard in, with the funny hats. There's a guard, but it's Jesus. Not dressed up like that, of course. It's Jesus. He's the guard. And what this guard does is this guard says, I'm the one you're looking for. Takes on our identity. Maybe he wears a disguise to look like us even. I don't know. But he says, I'll go with you and I'll, pay, I'll be accountable for this person's wrong. And we're safe. We're not accountable to our sin. In this life, we, of course, there's, we understand there's accountability, but what I'm talking about is the judgment of God against our sin that Jesus took on the cross. Think about it like this. If you say you want to be a novelist, you want to write a New York Times bestseller, and you're trying to think up a great plot, like what, what would be a great plot that would really pull on the, you know, the heartstrings of people and just move them, and you're trying to think, and you, you dream up this idea of, of a really important person who... Um, needs to, they're so important, they've got to be protected by bodyguards, and they've got this, this one bodyguard that takes a bullet for them and in the process dies. It's a tragedy, heroic act, tragedy. And the, 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 the VIP person discovers upon this bodyguard's death that actually the bodyguard was like their long-lost brother. And the bodyguard knew it, but he had to keep his identity a secret for some you have to work out the, the, the plot to, to make that work, right? You have to, you have to work that in. But it, was a, it wasn't known. And, and, this, and, then, and then all the memories of like, wow, this, what they said to me there and what, what he did then and, what, what it, what, and this, what he said then, they're all clues about, about the, the, the identity that we shared, our, our, our family identity and that he was my brother, but I never knew it. He couldn't tell me. And he died and I never knew. See, see it's different if someone sacrifices for you, a, a general sacrifice, I mean, that never, when does that ever happen? When you, when you know it was out of pure love, brotherly love, family love, it's out of that love. But then the great plot twist, the bodyguard survives. He comes back. He survives his injuries, comes back, and they reunited, and they get to actually under, you know, live their lives together and know each other. So obviously, if anyone's going to write that book, I just ruined the, the end of the story for you. But that's the gospel. That's, that's a little, it's an illustration, of course. You understand what I'm saying? Of what Jesus has done for us. He died in our place. We didn't know, we didn't know that we were like long lost siblings with Christ. Thank God he came back. Thank God that death didn't hold him back. I think he's coming again. Amanda's convinced of it. The grace of Jesus. Repent today. Follow Jesus today. Trust in Jesus all the more today. Cast your burden on Jesus today. Pour your anxiety out on Jesus today. He's here. He's here. He can free you today. If you want to respond today, if you need prayer, if you want to follow Jesus for the first time, if you want to be baptized, if you want to join a small group or you want to get involved somehow, you want to take a step, you want to respond in any way, you can do what, what Rochelle was talking about. You can text in. Text the word enjoy 
to 94,000 and respond. Take a step today. There's a, you can send a, a prayer request, something like that.